Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range, or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double breasted black blazer from a new to me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for, but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to make realistic improvements in their lives and reach their goals, however big or small. We are building a community of men and women who love to push themselves to overcome obstacles and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hello and Happy New Year! My husband and I spent New Year's Eve driving our three kids from Utah to our little home in California. So let me just say that our party that night was at 10 p.m. with our eyes closed, sleeping in our beds. I am very excited about the new year and the fresh start I am feeling in my life. And I'm also feeling very motivated. And I hope you are too. I posted yesterday about some fantastic planners that my friend created that I am using and love. This is not sponsored at all. It's something I genuinely think is awesome. So please check out my blog to see more on that as well as a giveaway of a planner on my Instagram. Were you able to listen to last week's mini podcast? It's pretty short by my standards. 
I don't want to rehash it except to encourage you to figure out what fears you want to face head on this year. Make this a year where you stop putting off things you want and need to do, but have delayed out of fear. This is connected with my Do Something series, as in Do Something That Scares You, that I started on my blog earlier this year. And I just will direct you to the blog to learn more about what that is. But I really want this to be about you. So please share with me what you or someone you know is doing that involves daring to be great or even daring to be silly. I want to hear it. You can do that by tagging me on social media using the hashtag about progress podcast, or even direct messaging me on Instagram, Facebook, or my blog. I really look forward to hearing from you and sharing your highlights on this podcast and on my blog on how you are personally digging deep and doing something that scares you. Today, I have an interview that I believe will be life-changing for many of you. It is with Danielle Hansen. Danielle and I became internet friends about six months ago, connecting on our similar histories with eating disorders. That's what this interview will largely be about today, but whether or not you have struggled with this in your life, I know that you will take away a lot from this interview. Eating disorders are really tricky to talk about. Not only are they shame-driven and shrouded in secrecy, but the depth and significance of an eating disorder's roots is very difficult to convey in a way that people truly understand what a lasting effect an eating disorder has on a person's life. In today's podcast, Danielle bravely untangles some of what fed her need to obsessively control her eating, exercise, and body, and how perfectionism and its related need to worry about other people's opinions of her fueled her disease. Danielle tried to work on her recovery while simultaneously battling infertility, but it wasn't until the birth of her firstborn son and hitting her lowest low that Danielle felt determined to take back her life. Now three years into facing her struggles with disordered eating and infertility head on, Danielle speaks on what made the difference in her recovery, how she has grown, and what life can be like on the other side. Let's move on to our interview. I'm here with Danielle. Hi, Danielle. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for joining me and and for putting yourself out there, this is this is going to be a good night. Um, I want you to give an introduction to yourself for our listeners. So I am 26 years old. I am married to Trevor, and we have two little boys. Milo is three, and Otto is one. We live in the Dallas, Texas area, um, and my husband's a physical therapist, and I am a stay-at-home mom. That's great. So I I discovered you on Instagram um, pretty soon after I started my account, and we related on a lot of things right away. And one of those was we both have a similar past with eating disorders, and you had written an article for a friend's blog. Is that right? Yeah, I've written a few articles around, but I I did one just this summer that was kind of a question and answer type deal. Yeah. Yeah, that, so that's how I discovered you. And, you know, I've, I've read your blog a lot since then. I've dug into the archives. And it seems like about two years ago, um, you became public with your struggles with eating disorders. And I know there's also 
with that, some infertility that you have faced as well that has been really heart-wrenching. So tonight we're going to be spending some time talking about both of those topics and how they relate to your struggle with perfectionism at the same time. So I want to go back a little bit. So instead of instead of what I usually do with most guests and just kind of seeing what your history is like in life, I want to go more towards what your history is like with these eating disorders as well as your struggle with infertility. And for most people who aren't super familiar with eating disorders, most of the time it starts really, really gradually and the roots are like, you know, the roots of a tree, they branch out into everything in years and years. So, I mean, that's tough to go into as well. So if you can, can you tell us a little bit about growing up, what you were like, and what are some of those roots that you can see that went into the development of those struggles for you? Yeah, so I think that my experience with perfectionism is maybe a little bit different than the general definition. I have never been, you know, the top of my class or the best at sports or anything. I was always kind of middle of the road there. But I have always had this unending desire to make sure that I live up to the way that others see me. Mm. Um, And along with that, my family, my home family life was good growing up. But my dad had a lot of health issues. And that was really hard because he was always on heavy medication and not always around. Um, And so I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders a lot. There were a lot of times that my mom would come to me for support. Mm. Um, And, of course, it was a – I mean, that door opened both ways. She was there for me too, but I never wanted to do anything to let anyone else down. And so in that way – I didn't want anybody to know if I was less than confident or if I was making decisions that were less than correct. Um, And so it kind of all stemmed from there. On the outside, I had this facade of having things together. But on the inside, I was just gradually, gradually crumbling. Um, And I I was never a skinny kid either. And so... So that was just another facet of it, of course, that that added that fueled that fire. I was not a skinny kid, and being a very verbal person, anything that anyone said to me relating to my weight went right to the core, and I internalized it and stewed over it, and I can remember anything that somebody has said to me regarding weight. And so, so that's kind of, in a nutshell, a lot of the contributing factors that eventually caused me to kind of implode and shatter on the inside. So what were some of the things that people said to you? So when I was in junior high and I had just gone through puberty, I had a high or a, a coach say, wow, it looks like you've lost weight. Don't go any further. And to my mind that had always been the chubby kid mind that made me think, oh, I should go further. And obviously that's not how it should go, but I've been predisposed for these things. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember one time we had treats at home and my dad said something out of pure ignorance, not even, this wouldn't affect others the same way that it did me, but he said, if you keep eating all those, you're going to get as big as a barn. And I was so upset about that. It just really hurt my feelings. Um, And I had... 
times that that girls at school wouldn't be friends with me. I remember the first day of seventh grade that pretty girls wouldn't sit by me. Um, and I just, I mean, it, it might've been, I might've, it might've been self-projected, but I really, really always felt like people judged me for my weight. And it's not that I was this obese kid. I just always noticed that my jeans fit differently than the cute girl's jeans. And, mm. um, I just, I noticed from a young age that I was a little different than maybe what was, what I deemed as preferable. I'm curious, I'm thinking about when you were saying that you didn't want to put pressure on those around you because, you know, your family was already in some tricky situations. You wanted to make life easier for them by being the good girl. And what do you think translated to body image for you in order to be the good girl what translated to that also meaning having to have a really skinny body so very honestly I think that being a sensitive soul is a double-edged sword so it's good in that I can empathize with others and feel their feelings with them but it's hard in that I just could feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. But all of these things outside of me were out of my control. But my weight was one thing that I could control. And I figured out that I could control it. And I latched on to that for dear life. And I made that kind of what I was going to do. And I didn't realize it at the time that that's really what I was doing. Um, it's taken a lot of years of self-discovery to uncover that um that trait of mine but that's that's how I felt some sense of control as I had all of these emotions all of these feelings myself and my my loved ones floating around inside of me that was one thing that I could control so it wasn't so much you feeling ashamed of your body or trying to punish your body it seems like it was more of a way to have a product for you like here look I am good because I can control this and look how in control of my life I am if I can have this body is that right yeah so um I I mean definitely have care about being fit but it was never it never stemmed from this need to be skinny that's never where mm. it began Um, But then I, it was, it really was that I could control something in life. Honestly, I know that I look better and feel much better when I have healthy weight on me. I don't, if I look back on pictures of me real thin and I just want to cry, I look awful. I, I know that I felt awful Mm -hmm. and, and you get so distorted when you're caught up in it that you don't quite realize that. But, um, I prefer to be in a, in a healthy place, in a healthy weight range. Mm. And I know that I look better that way. So, and that just further manifests to me that it really was about the emotional control and the physical control. So this began in middle school for you, or was it even sooner? You know, I was preoccupied with my weight from a very young age. It always bothered me, but the actual eating disorders, man, the actual eating disordered 
eating patterns mm-hmm. didn't really show themselves until later on. But when I think back, so in my recovery, I, I did a 12-step program like the Alcoholics Anonymous program through our church. And in step four, you write an inventory of all of the things that have contributed. and literally could write a book on all of the experiences in my life that have kind of built into this monster that was terrified of food. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember things as young as like when I was in Girl Scouts, keeping a food journal. I remember comparing myself to the Olympic team. I think it was in 1996 and thinking, well, they all weigh this much and I weigh this much. And, um, it was just always something that mattered more to me than I think other people. Hmm. It always just for some reason haunted me in a weird way. Yeah. So I want to know what, those controlling patterns look like for you. I don't feel like you need to go on the, an incredible amount of detail here, just in case there are some people who are going to latch on to some ideas, you know, and oh, take yeah, some things so further. Triggering. Sure. Yeah, I don't want to trigger. So, I, you know, we'll warn our listeners that way. But I mean, I do think it's important to talk about what did those controlling patterns look like? What did your eating disorder look like for you? On a day-to-day basis, I guess. Yeah. So growing up, I never learned how to eat healthy and normally very well, which I don't pin that on my parents. I honestly think that a lot of people have that have a hard time knowing how to properly nourish themselves, and I think that everybody needs to learn it for themselves. But so I would just take things in extremes. I would... Um, it's, it's shown itself in different ways throughout the years. I've had a lot of different types of disordered patterns, including anorexic and bulimic behaviors, but there have been times that I almost made it a competition not to eat Mm -hmm. or times that I learned how to make myself throw up and did that just daily, um, times that I've over-exercised. It's kind of just, it's it's really just a complex, a complex web, like you say, and at some points in life, I can kind of pinpoint, I remember that during this season, I was trying really hard not to eat, and I had these specific kind of rituals of, I don't eat before this time of day, I don't eat mm-hmm. these certain foods, these are good, these are bad, Um and times that I've been able to loosen up about that, I and mean, then other times where I can keep this down, but I will not keep that down. Um, and so it's kind of just, it's taken on different forms over the years, but but just to that extent, being being afraid of different types of foods and trying to control it all of the time. Mm-hmm. And never being balanced about it. It was always one extreme or another. Yeah. So the timelines for for this, too. I mean, some people, I think, can develop an eating disorder fairly quickly. But like we talked about, it's usually over a long time. For for you, what is that? what was that timeline of development? There's 
waves of intensity with it, I believe. You know, you go really intense sometimes or go a different route and other times or loosen up the reins and then make them really hardcore other times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So So it started really young, but what did that timeline look for you? When did it really build up in intensity and start to become a very serious, debilitating problem? So I remember the first time that I can remember in my head that I had thoughts of, this is not okay and this could get really bad really fast was my senior year of high school. I had decided to graduate a semester early, mostly because I had, um, I had had some really great friends in high school and some of those friendships kind of took strange turns my senior year. And I really struggled with that. Mm -hmm. And so I was getting out and I was facing a big change in life, and I've noticed that they always that my eating disorder and anxiety always comes to a head right around big changes. And so I remember right before I left for school, I got I started trying to eat less. And um, my mom, I remember, sat me down one night and said, "We will have no eating disorders in this house." And she doesn't remember saying that to me, but I remember in my head thinking, oh, that's what I was trying to do, isn't it? That's what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and it it didn't last super long at that point. It was maybe a few months. But but then when shortly after I got married, I... And how many years was that later, just so we can understand? Sorry, okay, so, so this was... 2007, the end of 2007. Shortly after I got married, I got married in 2009, and this was in 2010. Um, I was on birth control only for a few months, but it made me really sick. And during that time, I learned how to make myself throw up because I was so sick one night that I just, the only way I could think of to have relief Mm. was to throw up. And that was a really dangerous thing for me to learn. And so from then on, if I felt too full, then I would just make myself throw up. Or if I ate too much at one time that I wasn't comfortable with or ate something that I was afraid of, I would just get rid of it. And it was, it felt like not a big deal for a little while. And before I knew it, I was just afraid to keep anything down. Um, and I was completely out of control, and that is when it got really debilitating. I just, it, you don't understand, I mean, you can't understand beforehand what a toll it takes on every aspect of your life, the, the social, the physical, the emotional, everything. Um, is just, it ends up all revolving around food. So go more um, into that if you can. What does that toll look like? So I think I think that the hardest thing for me was that I started being really paralyzed when it came to any kind of social situation where I wasn't in charge of the food. And to this day, things like that are still something that give me some panic. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can control what I eat in my own home, in my own routine. And I know that I will get the nutrients I need when it's me in charge, but... 
it got to the point where if we were going out with friends or going somewhere for dinner or if I was going to work and somebody brought treats or even going to be there for a long time, I would just be so stressed about, am I going to get through this shift without eating something that I shouldn't? Or are they going to have stuff at this dinner that I'm afraid of eating? And then if I eat it, what am I going to do? Um, and also it is literally living a lie. I was hiding things from everyone that I love. It was something that I was really ashamed of Mm. trying to lie and get away with behaviors that are not acceptable or not normal. It was embarrassing and, and I was really ashamed. And so I just wanted to hide it. Um, and I ended up hiding it from people that I love. And then also, I would get super irritable around food or eating situations and just not be able to be myself or feel myself because I was just so irritable and anxious about it. So did that include your husband? Was he aware coming into the marriage? I mean, I'm sure he knew there had been some history there, but... What was his level of awareness while you were getting deeper into it once you were um, newly married? So he, um, I, he didn't know for a while. And, you know, I'm sure that he, he knew that every now and then I threw up. But he didn't, he didn't press me about it. But then I remember one night it was about maybe six months after things got really bad, six or eight months, I was thinking, this is horrible. I am newly married. I mean, I guess at this point I'd been married for a little over a year. And there is this huge, strange thing that has come into my life that I don't know how to handle. And I don't know how how it got as big as it is, but it kind of just hit me like a ton of bricks. This is a problem. This is big. Mm-hmm. And... I was terrified to tell him and I thought, what's the worst that's going to happen that he's going to be mad because he's my husband. He can know my hard things in life and he should know my hard things in life. And I told him and he, he could not have answered in a more loving and kind way. Not that he understands an eating disorder. And at this point I was just, so early on in my recovery that I didn't understand really when neither of us understood how far gone I was at that point and how much work it was going to take to manage it. But I was really grateful that that first time that he was really kind and loving. Was that about when you had your lowest low or did that come later on? No, that was not my lowest low. Mm-hmm. That was my my rock bottom was a few years later. So in that meantime, was it something you were trying to start working on or was it just was it still just something that you didn't realize was as big of a problem as as it, as it was in actuality? No, I definitely so I had lost some weight during that time and I definitely started working on it and just needed it not to be an issue and needed it out of my life. Um, 
And so I ended up, I mean, I was working hard on it and Mm -hmm. it was good. And, and I was not without my slip ups. And I think that that's something that neither of us anticipated was that it would be really hard to just quit cold turkey mm-hmm. and be normal cold turkey and be okay to eat whatever. And so I think like like 11 days after I told him, we ended up making cookies and it ended in disaster. And that was not a fun night. But yeah. it was a lot of work. It, I was trying to just kind of catch my bearings and figure it out. And it was also around that time that we started trying to get pregnant with our first baby. And so that was definitely added motivation to get things in check. So what did those early days of recovery look like then? What were you doing to try to improve and and figure this out? In the very beginning, I, um, so I told him, and then I also told my brother that we hung out with a lot. Mm-hmm. And one of the hardest things for me was that I didn't know anybody else with an eating disorder. So I had mm-hmm. a 22-year-old man, my husband, and a 26-year-old man as my mentors. Yeah. And I love them to death, but they do not understand what it feels like to be a woman with an eating disorder. Thankfully, though, they were both kind to me. They were both there for me Mm -hmm. and without judgment. And I really appreciate that. Um, And so, so pretty much at that point, it was just try not to do it. And that's the extent of what my understanding of what the effort was going to be at that point is just try not to do it. And so I would eat as little as possible right away. And it was almost like, well, if I couldn't throw it up, then I couldn't eat in the first place. When you say just don't do it, you mean throw up? Yeah. Yeah. So don't throw up. Just try not to do it. Try not to throw up. So, so there was, um, but I was still very much trying to control it. And that's where I went wrong Mm -hmm. is that I was still trying with everything that I had to stay exactly the same size and stay in control of what went into my body and what I weighed. And, and so in that way, it looking back in retrospect, I can see, yes, that was my first effort. And I can also understand the flaws in the logic because I was really still trying to maintain control just in different ways. Yeah. It seems like you, I mean, you just didn't realize that you were still engaging in a really heavy eating disorder, you know? Yeah. And trying to avoid one pattern. You were going uh, another direction. Going to a different one. Yeah. Yeah. That control was still everything to you. So tell me more about how infertility came into play for those those early years of trying to recover but but not but not really doing it in a way that was productive. You know, it actually made things worse and how that yeah, so, intertwined with that infertility. Yeah, so I was trying really hard to eat normal but still control my weight. So that was still not a great situation. Um, I 
somewhere in there quit having periods. And so I had to go, well, they were irregular, I guess, at that point. Mm-hmm. So I went to a doctor and got started on some medication. But also that summer, we had some big family drama that, that and it wasn't in my marriage, it was my family at home. Mm-hmm. And it it really, really threw me for a loop, made me really upset. And it was around then, I think, that the 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 combination of exercising too much, eating not right, and also just the emotional stress that I was under, just I, I stopped having periods altogether. Mm-hmm. So that around then is when I went into the doctor and got some medication to start being fertile again and also to ovulate and I did lots of cycles of that and I just remember it was hard after one month and then it was hard after three months and then it was hard after six months and I remember thinking well surely by next year I'll be pregnant surely by next birthday I'll be pregnant and every one of those milestones that came and went was just really heartbreaking to me. I I know that my journey with fertility has been way less dramatic than many women and to anybody listening that has had fertility struggles, my heart really, really goes out for you to you because with anything hard that I've been through, not being able to have children when we were ready has hands down been the hardest thing. And that's coming from somebody who's worked through an eating disorder. So that's been Mm. not being able to get pregnant was the hardest thing. And, uh, and it just kind of, that kind of fueled the fire too, because I was sad. It was very hard for me to not be able to get a baby on the way. I was graduated from school. I was working an office job that I just didn't love. And from a young age, I knew that I wanted to be a mom. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And um, so eventually... We did get pregnant, and my eating was pretty good around that time. I didn't have fantastic eating patterns during any of that phase, but I was working on trying to figure out how to get it managed, and so it wasn't totally out of control. It was something that I was actively trying to work on. Um, So I did eventually get pregnant with my little boy, and... 
and I had him and that, that changed everything. That was, that was a huge, I mean, that was the best thing of my life to have my little guy. So what impact did that have on how you viewed yourself having that little baby? So I had him and I was immediately just in this world of bliss. I didn't know that such joy existed. Um, and I knew that I wanted to have kids, but but having him just, it realized that dream for me. And, um, and I was, I was so amazed that he came out of my body mm-hmm. and I made him and that's amazing. <laughs> that was amazing to me. And then I got to take care of him and he was mine forever and he wasn't going to go anywhere. And that gave me a lot of value as a woman, but also it was again a really big change so life was wonderful and blissful and I was thinking it's just gonna go away I'm so happy right now being a mom that I don't even care about maintaining like about controlling my weight anymore it's just not even a thing um and all it took was a month or two and I was right back to messed up eating patterns because I didn't I hadn't ever established a great eating pattern before I got pregnant and then I was pregnant and nothing is normal when you're pregnant Mm -hmm. and I have super hyperemesis pregnancies and I'm sick the entire time and I really did have to relearn how to eat but I thought I was in the clear. So I just remember being so mad because I had this beautiful baby, I was in heaven And the ugliest thing, my eating disorder was tainting that for me. Hmm. And I was just so upset about it. What level do you think control comes in to play there? So I think that for, I think that once I had become a mother, I felt even more responsibility on my shoulders as a mother would. Um, and, and we were moving right then. My husband was starting a new school. We just had so many big changes all at one time. And change always throws me, like I've said. Mm -hmm. And so all of that kind of came together and the little switch inside of me kind of flipped. And I went back to my old coping mechanism because I hadn't learned better ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's one of those things you, I I just feel, I hear that shame still in your voice when you talk about it. I mean, eating disorders are so shame-driven, and you're still kind of blaming Mm -hmm. yourself for reacting that way to change when, in fact, that's what you had been hardwired to to respond you know that yeah that was your body and your brain's you know hardwired way to respond to really big life changes and and becoming a mom no matter how much you wanted it and how prepared you were for it and how enthralled you were by um by it that's that's going to happen if you don't have those coping mechanisms in place 
Yes. And I think a big piece of me thought, well, I'm a mom now and moms don't have things like eating disorders. Mm. And then it came back and it showed its face again. And I thought, I am a mom with an eating disorder. And that is so awful and so unfair to my baby, so unfair to my family. And I just was so ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it was just, it was such a shame to me. So what? And I was, I was really embarrassed too. I didn't want anybody to know. Yeah. What, what made you decide then to, to really take recovery seriously? So my husband being the smart man that he is, when I was rail thin five months after giving birth, um, and eating like a teenage boy, he asked a few times if I was doing okay, if I was eating right, and I lied about it, which I'm not a lying person, and that just mm-hmm. makes me sick that I just that eating disorder has turned me into that, and I could lie, yeah. unfortunately, well. And then one day he asked again, and it came out, and I told him, and it was awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was not a fun day in my life. But I remember I came home that day and he had flowers for me, which it just, it meant the world to me because it it helped me realize that he's in it for the long haul and he still loved me even though I had problems. Yeah. And, um, and that meant a lot to me. He always has seemed like a guy that has his life so under control and um he's just he's got it together and I on the other side felt like a hot mess and felt bad for him that he had to deal with me and all of my issues in life and um it was my family that had the family drama and it was me that couldn't get pregnant and it was me that couldn't eat normally um and so I remember really feeling like man he really got the short end of the stick here but it meant the world to me that he, he didn't, I mean, he wasn't happy, but he didn't lash out at me. He does love me all things. I mean, he loves me at face value and he loves me even though I am have had to work through some really big things. And that's something good to depend on in your head, you know, that, that shame has less value when you know someone's going to be there no matter what, even if they can't help you through the, the recovery as you know, they can't yeah. make you be recovered. That support. No, nobody nobody can. can. It has to come from inside. Yeah. And it seems like that is the point though, where you decided it. I mean, it really did come from the inside. It was, it was time. So what, what did that then become for your recovery? What changed what steps were you actually taking to really take it seriously? So I very honestly think that my, that my, sorry. I think that my little Milo saved me. Yeah. He, having him, Having him is what made me want to fix it for real. And that didn't make it less work. That didn't make it easier. 
Um, but he made me the mother that I am, and I have never felt more found than I do as a mother. Um, I, I felt like I had my identity. I, I had found my identity in becoming a mom, and I wanted to let that shine. I wanted to be that person that I know that I am. Yeah. And so, so at that point, I was finally ready to let my faith replace that fear hmm. of, of letting go of the control. And I had to just let go. And mm-hmm. it, it really did feel like physically letting go yeah. and doing everything that I could to eat right. And my body would manifest whatever it's normal was going to be. And um, so I did that 12-step program, and I spent a lot of time with Jesus. And and Milo and I stayed so busy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We we would take naps a lot together. I mean, he was tiny, obviously, taking naps a lot. We would take naps together because being asleep was easier than dealing with it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And... We would go to the park across the street all the time just to get out of the house. We would go wander the mall. We would go everywhere. Um, And he just, he was my little recovery buddy. You know, as a tiny baby, he was my little recovery buddy. And he was just my light. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I knew that I wanted to be, the thing that hurt me the most at that, time when I really, really started recovering for real was all of the time that I had wasted preoccupied with food mm-hmm. and not not been present. And that hurt my heart more than anything. All of this time that I had spent so worried about what I was eating, what I wasn't eating, how I was going to make it through this social gathering or that social gathering, um, and how much longer I needed to go before... I could eat something again or, and I had wasted so much time and that broke my heart more than anything. All of the missed time because the days are too fast. Yeah. <laughs> the, the years are too fast with babies. And, um, and so I just told myself, we are going to just live. We're going to live each day. We're going to live minute by minute because, it was excruciating. Those first months, excruciating. It felt like every day was a lifetime. Um, I really just had to stick to shake it till you make it. And I was not perfect either during those days. I definitely had my slip-ups. But I was just so determined to have this out of my life. And, And so I just did it, just I just had to do it and it was hard and it felt like it was never going to get easier. And then it did. It does get easier. You do learn how to eat and those cravings to eat everything at once go away. And those thoughts of this is something that I'm not allowed to eat go away slowly and gradually. It gets better and it gets easier and you feel normal again and and that was wonderful to just start to feel some sense of normalcy around the whole issue of food yeah 
That's and really be able exciting. to just enjoy life again. Yeah, you're taking your life back. Yes, because I had, I mean, I had a wonderful life, but then there was just this whole other ugly side of it that was totally out of control and ruining all of the good. So you have spent the last three years really seriously working on this. And I know you also had another struggle with fertility as well before you were able to have your second son. So, I mean, that's three really hard years. And I'm trying to think about what if there's another woman who's listening who is kind of realizing she's either in the thick of it or well on her way to being in a really bad place with how she is trying to control her weight and her food and everything around her. And if you were to give her some advice, I want to know what would you say to her? What would you, what advice would you have about how to go about her recovery in a way that's really going to make a productive journey at a faster rate because I know I know that that took a while for you to even come to that point of a serious um, progress in that realm yeah so that it did take a long time and I remember so vividly I had this moment where I was looking I was giving my second boy Otto sometime last year I was giving him a bath and he was looking up at me and he was staring straight into my soul, and I knew in that moment that he thought I was the most beautiful girl in the world, mm-hmm. and I was a hot mess. I had just, I had just had a baby. I was not sleeping even a little, like I was a wreck. And and I just remember thinking, he thinks that I am the most beautiful girl in the world. And it has nothing to do with what he's looking at on the outside right now. I honestly think that babies can see your souls. And I think that children just absolutely adore their mother's souls. And that has been a huge motivator for me just to realize we love people not because they look beautiful or not because they are perfect or have their lives all together. We love people because they have good hearts and we love them because we care about them and we care about them when they're having a hard time or when they hurt our feelings or when they're mean. We still love them and we still care about them. Mm-hmm. And I I want to be the kind of person who when 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 my old age at my funeral, I don't want it to be about, oh, she was just beautiful. And um, she was just a beautiful girl. First of all, I, there's 0% of me is exotic. I am very <laughs> normal. And second of all, there are so many other things that I want to be remembered for. Um, and so it's been, I just, I think that my best advice would be, to just step outside of yourself and an eating disorder feels so selfish and that's where a lot of the shame comes from. Mm -hmm. And in reality, it's, it's so much more than just selfish and um, vain. It's so much more than that. But when you look outside of yourself and just love the people that you're around, love the people that you interact with, um, 
and allow yourself to do that without the conditions of, well, but what if I'm having a fat day? I don't want to be around other people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can, if you can let yourself, give yourself permission to let that go. Give yourself permission to embrace your cellulite and go out and love people and be with people. That is where you're going to find your light and your joy. You're not going to find it in any number on the scale. Yeah. I really relate to what you said there because I think that that was a tipping point for me is taking stock of where my life was headed and it was you know, it looked pretty terrible, you know, so it's yeah figuring yeah. out what you really want out of your life. And do you really want to be controlled by this thing? Or do you want to live your life? Do you want your relationships to be destroyed by it? Your potential family, you know, anything you can, you can name everything by it. Careers, Definitely. missions. Absolutely. And I remember thinking, I am I could lose everything because of this. This could ruin everything. Mm-hmm. And that really, really freaked me out. And I think if I can put two plugs in there, too, for someone who might either be thinking about this for themselves or someone that they know, for me, uh, it looks different for everyone. Recovery does, you know. But besides a lot of time and a lot of practice, I think it was helpful for me to read a book called intuitive eating. And that's tricky because that book also is kind of a trigger for me in some ways, but it was a good, Mm -hmm. it was, it was helpful information to have. Um, Yes. I've researched that one too, actually not to jump in, but it is so wonderful and totally something that I try hard to do. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I I think that's, that's, that was, that's a helpful resource, you know? Um, and the other thing for me has been therapy. You know, I, I, I wasn't religious about it, but looking back, I wish I had been more and more seriously. I, I think I was really serious about it for the first year, but then I thought I could just keep working on it on my own for the following eight years. <laughs> you know, and it, it, like you said, it affects every part of your life in ways that, it's still going to be something you struggle with the rest of your life. So my plug for anyone who is listening is get someone on your side who really knows what they're talking about and has good coping mechanisms to help teach you those that you, and and to not give up the first time. If the therapist isn't the right fit, find someone else, keep trying till you find that person that clicks and to do it longer than you think you need to. Those are my two little plugs. And I think that is wonderful advice because I have spent a lot of time trying to uncover this whole beast by myself. And um, a a person that has the eating disorder trying to figure out their own eating disorder within themselves is kind of hard and not always that productive. And Mm -hmm. so I need to take a, a page out of that book too, I think, and not be embarrassed to need to talk to somebody else, but to use that as a resource because that is an invaluable resource, I think. Yeah. Well, because your own view of yourself and your past, it's, it's, um, not blinded by this, but it's, there's a whole shade 
over everything of how you view yourself and your life that someone else just has to help you uncover. So it helps. Well, and they can give you permission to believe things that you cannot give yourself permission to believe. I think that's Mm -hmm. been a hard thing for me is to think, I am not allowed to, I mean, I can give everybody else a break on their bodies forever. I don't care if anybody else has roles or anything, Mm -hmm. but I can't let myself have that because I could avoid it. I know know how. Mm -hmm. So to know that you can have the permission to just have a normal life is just very freeing. Yeah. So since you became open about this, I want to know what went into that decision for you to become open about your struggles with both infertility and eating disorders and in a public way, both with your blog. You are an incredible writer, by the way. People should definitely check out your blog. I'll have that in the notes for them to find it. But how how did you decide to become open? So I I had this. That feeling of that I had wasted so much time, there was just such a big, dark spot on my life. And I was so upset about that. And I thought, what is, what can I do to turn this around and make any kind of, any kind of light out of it? And the only thing I could think of and the best thing that I could think of was to share my struggle in hopes that I could relate with other people and that there was maybe somebody out there that could relate with me and that I could be any kind of a source of hope. Not that I, not that anybody would look at my life and be like, wow, I want to be like her and get an eating disorder and then recover from it. That sounds super fun. (laughs) But I do though really want, I didn't know anybody with an eating disorder and I felt so isolated and embarrassed and alone and then just the shame. Mm -hmm. And so in, in telling everybody, it's not necessarily that I was super excited for the whole world to know that I had an eating disorder and some pretty serious issues, mm-hmm. but I did want the want the world to know that I am there for you. I am here for you, and and there are normal looking people that have very serious issues. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that everybody everybody has an issue. Everybody has some kind of issue. Everybody's struggling with something. Um, and nobody needs judgment for that because everybody's going to have their hard things. Everybody's going to have something that makes them panic or, you know, it can be anything. It can be any myriad of things. And, and the last thing anybody needs for any of that is to feel any kind of judgment. And that's not to say that everybody needs to go and be public with their struggles. That's not a bell that you can unring. Mm -hmm. And there have definitely been many times that I've thought, that was, I don't know why I did that. (laughs) But I do know why I did it. It just, it's a big thing to have out there for anybody to know. And when I meet new people, I think, man, I kind of would love to have a clean slate, but it's just a big, it's a big piece of me. It's a big reason why I've learned a lot of things in life. And I've decided that I've never been um, met with anything but love and or a need to talk when I've, when I've brought it up. Mm-hmm. And so um, I definitely think that the, the benefit outweighs the embarrassment on that one. 
and and I'm sure that there are people who think she is crazy, hmm. completely crazy, and that is fine because I probably am, but it's kind of nice to have a crazy friend. And so (laughs) I want to be the crazy friend. I will be people's crazy friend. I will take that. that. Well, you're, and what you're really doing is you're being the real friend, you know? I hope so. I don't, I don't post anything that is not very much me. And I make a point of that Mm -hmm. because I don't want to ever scroll through my feed and think, that has nothing to do with my real life. That is nothing like what we even are doing. Yeah. Um, and I love a good pretty picture as much as the next person. But my life is messy and my boys are crazy and and we have fun and we're happy and um and we have hard days and we're crazy and I like to remember all of those things. I think my my saddest thing, the thing that I dislike the most about motherhood is that I cannot remember for the life of me every little detail of how they do and say everything at every age um and I hope that after we die that we can remember all of those cute little things that they've said and all of you know the the exact way that they looked when they walked and um the way they mispronounced all their words I hope that I can remember all of that but in the meantime, I'm going to preserve it the best that I can so that I can go back and look and remember. I think that's why you are, you have such a real loving following because that is there. Your heart is there and it's, and it's not a place where people look and then feel bad about their lives. It's a place where they go and they laugh or they think about, oh, I relate so much to what she said or they feel inspired to go on or it's all there, Danielle. And well, you know, I appreciate that. And if, if for no other reason, somebody can always come to my feed and feel great about their own life, probably. <laughs> no, it, I mean, but also inspired. I mean, I look at it and I just see the joy that you take out of motherhood. And that that inspires me to shift my view, you know, on the days that are really hard with motherhood. And not that you're not real about it either, but that is something that well, you really cherish. That really, that means a lot to me because that, honestly, that's the highest compliment that I can receive is that somebody can see that I love being a mom Mm -hmm. and let's not mistake that we have our super hard days because we absolutely do. Um, But I, it's, I like to try and pick the sparkle out of the ordinary moments and that, that's kind of why I keep going to this crazy social media world yeah because it really does allow me to share those little bits of sparkle oh I love that that is a that's a good quote right there so and you know I had a thought you being open about about these struggles is your way of rewiring your brain that's you challenging that shame head-on and just challenging that that's rewiring your brain so that's that's good that's a really important step for you yeah, I remember I do have one other one other tip as far as recovery. I read once um, when you start to feel those moments of panic and anxiety, instead of going to your go-to coping strategy, which for me was eating disorder patterns, mm-hmm. um, to allow yourself to just feel the feelings. Yeah. And for whatever reason, that was really novel to me to just 
feel it. And I, I think it was to the point where I just didn't even realize that there were feelings that I was trying to block. Mm. Uh, but then just riding that wave of anxiety, be it just too busy or um, worried about something with my husband when he was in school, that was intense. Um, and just ride the wave and feel it. That was another way to rewire my brain and think sometimes things get intense and I can let myself feel those feelings and then move on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is key. So we've talked a lot about the struggles you've faced the last 10 years, your determination that you've taken upon yourself to face that recovery. And the last question I usually ask is what did you learn the last 10 years of your life? If I had to choose one thing that I've learned, it is that even as a people pleaser, I do not need to apologize for the way and the pace in which I live my life. I have to stay um, busy enough, but not too busy. I'm, I can't be a social eater because that doesn't end well for me. I sometimes feel weird when I think, well, somebody's going to notice that I am or am not eating something at this party um, because people know <laughs> that I have issues. And, but then I think, you know what? I, in my heart, know where I am and I know that I am in a good place. And I don't need to worry about whether somebody has an issue with that. And quite frankly, I guarantee that nobody really cares either. But I don't think anybody is watching me as closely as I in my head feel like they are. Um, and then also seems like sometimes I say no. Sometimes I'm not up for going, doing a million things all at one time. We, my boys and I like to get out of the house once a day or, or sometimes stay home all day every now and then. And we like to live life at a slower pace and, and I'm okay with that. I like to have really personal relationships with people and I enjoy just talking one-on-one with people and, um, huge crowds aren't always my thing. And and I don't need to feel weird for that or sorry for that. Um, people always say you do you, but you really can. And it's really nice and very fun to just do what you love. Oh, I love that. Danielle, this was such a great interview. Thank you for talking with me tonight. Thank you for having me. I've loved being able to, to talk. And I think that what you're doing here is wonderful, by the way. And I think that you are a mastermind at it. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. What did you think about Danielle's interview? I honestly wrote down so many quotes where she shares her wisdom. And I don't think I'll ever forget how she said she was determined to get this thing out of her life and start living. And her sadness over all the wasted time she spent being preoccupied with food instead of being present. Is that ringing a bell with you? Is that you? Eating disorders are sneaky things. They often mask themselves as healthy living when really they are controlling you and your life so gradually until you don't recognize who was in charge anymore. 
If you found yourself looking into the proverbial mirror today while listening, can I just encourage you to really take stock of what is controlling you and your life and what you really want to make of it instead. I have been there. It's been 10 years for me. It's a long road to recovery, but one absolutely worth taking. If you need some extra support there, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. My contact information is in the notes of the show. I'd also love to hear what you're doing while listening to this podcast. So please tag me at about progress podcast so I can share what you guys are doing. Next Wednesday, I will have another great interview for you. To be honest, I get scared to ask people who I want to be on the show, but I told you last week that my do something is asking more people who I feel need to be on this show. So I'm going to spend the rest of my week doing just that. If you have someone you'd like to nominate to be interviewed here, please see my contact information on my blog, which is also in the show notes. Thank you so, so much for listening and making this podcast worth every second of time and money I've put into it. I love you for that. I'll see you next week and take care of yourself. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.